Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome out there in Blog Talk Radio land. We're happy to have you here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. This is the last Saturday in March. Can you believe it? I want to say, well, yesterday was our Good Friday. Some people now call it Bad Friday, but the the blessing was on the way, and then our Easter uh, tomorrow morning. So just a a huge blessing on on this weekend um, over 2,000 years ago. So happy Easter to everybody out there in advance. I know it's it's tomorrow, but I want to say happy Easter to you, whether you're going through an experience that feels like everything's lost for you and can can you be restored? Can can you rise again? So you might be actually, I personally am. My son passed in December, so I'm personally going through an experience like that. And there may be other people. I know our, our guest on, She one of her books is about when is it time to end a relationship and could that be your key to your your deliverance. Everybody's going through something. Everybody's going through something, whether they tell you or not. But this is uh, Easter reminds us that even during the darkest times, the toughest, most challenging times, when we really think we can't make it, uh, if we continue to trust in what created us, that we're a part of and it's a part of us, we can, we can come out of it. And another thought that I want to leave with you on this morning here at Blog Talk Radio uh, off the shelf is a, a quote I heard from Carol Burnett uh, a while ago, and it, it stuck with me. And, and during each of our shows, I just like to leave a positive thought uh, with you again, because everybody's going through something. Some of us are celebrating. Some of us are in the midst of a, of a challenge and trying to get through it. But the thought that Carol Burnett <laughs> left was, only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. And I'm thinking about the the movie, and I also read the book, and I encourage anybody to read the book, The Pursuit of Happiness. The book goes into more detail about his life, which was he had a very challenging life, kind of like Tyler Perry, but I would say even him maybe more so, and how he overcame that. But he said the cavalry is not coming. There is no magic potion coming to rescue you. You have got to get down, and Ilana Vinzan always says it, you have got to do your work. You have got to get down, roll up your sleeves, and do that hard inner work. But again, from Carol Burnett, only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. And for those of you who just joined us, yes, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off the shelf on this Saturday morning, March 31st. Before we introduce you, our awesome guest for this morning, I wanted to ask you, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you love mystery? Whether it's in a book or it's in a play or it's in a movie, you just want to figure out what the ending's going to be. And don't we all want to know that about our lives? What's the ending going to be before I ever get started or before it's revealed to me? If you just, like, you are one of those people that love mysteries because you want to figure it out before it's revealed. And you value relationships. There's a complicated relationship between a father and a son in love for me. The father has untreated alcoholism, and he's left to raise his son by himself. 
that alone makes some people like, oh, no. There's so many people who live through these experiences. What happens to the son? I can tell you he's an academic and an athletic standout. He has a very warm and loving heart, but he has been impacted by what happened to him in his childhood. And when he goes to college, he meets Brenda, who is his soulmate. But can we completely cut free of the pains from our past? You will find that out if you read Love, Pull Over Me. There's also a murder mystery tucked into the book that Raymond becomes a part of as soon as he gets to college in Pennsylvania. If you value relationships and you love mystery, I really, really encourage you to go out and get a copy of Love, Pull Over Me today. It's in print or ebook format. And all you have to do is look for Love, Pull Over Me by Denise Turney. And I'd love to hear how you enjoy the book after you buy and read it. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special guest this morning is C. Michelle Atkins. Now, C. Michelle Atkins, she's a mother and a grandmother, and she is a book author and a domestic violence provision advocate. We cannot have enough of that. Oh, my goodness. She's also a contributing writer to the book, How Divorce Became My Deliverance. Very interesting topic. Other books that Michelle has authored include Poetry for Your Soul, Tales from My Life, Not the Crypt, and the Unrelationship Book. Now, Michelle is also an educator, an editor, public speaker, and violence-free relationship advocate. This this interview should probably be broadcast globally. Our show goes out globally, but I mean billions of people should listen to it, especially when you consider domestic violence. Somebody is abused in a home. I think the last statistic I saw was either every 16 or every 17 seconds. Now, I know a sexual assault happens, some form of sexual assault abuse, every two minutes in America. That is astounding. That is astounding. So she's doing good work, her violence-free relationship advocacy. She loves to read. She loves music and the arts, also known as the Purple Poet. We are honored to have C. Michelle Atkins with us on Off the Shelf Book Talk Radio this morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, Michelle. Thank you. Good morning. We're so we're so glad to have you here with us in the the work that you do is is absolutely necessary. Everybody needs to to put their hand on that plow. Before we go on, uh, the first few questions I asked you, I asked all of our guests to give our listeners some backstory uh, on our guests before I launch into the questions about their books and their other works. But before I even get do that, do you have a website URL? I like to let our visitors know. Uh, where they can keep up with our guests, the website URL, in case they want to keep up with what the guest is doing. Okay, I do have, <clears throat> excuse me, I do have a website. It is um, atkinsm45.wix.com forward slash c-michelle-atkins. And if they Google me, uh, they Google C. Michelle Atkins, or the purple poet, then uh, my website should come up. Okay. And I'm also okay. And I've on, seen some of those on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I was going to say I'm also on Twitter as CM Purple Diva. 
I'm on Facebook, um, C. Michelle Atkins, and I also have a fan page, a, a business page, is C. Michelle, a.k.a. The Purple Poet. I'm on Instagram as C. Michelle, The Purple Poet as well. Okay. Thank you for sharing that <laughs> with us. Uh, it, it is it is really a pleasure to have you here. I always learn something from every guest off the shelf been on now for over 13 years. I never thought I would, to our listeners, I never thought I would even have a radio show, let alone more than 13 years. But I've learned something from every guest that we've had on our show, as I'm sure our listeners have. But this, these first few questions, as I told you, I ask each of our guests, just so our listeners can get some backstory on the authors. So, Michelle, to begin, can you tell us where um, you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? I am a Georgia peach um, from Atlanta, Georgia. I've been in Atlanta all of my life. Um, I matriculated through the Atlanta public school system, um, and I actually started writing when I was in elementary school. I started um, writing little poems, and I actually wrote my first book when I was in the fourth grade. I, I wrote the words. I drew the pictures and put the book together with my own hands, used construction paper, crayons, uh, uh, staples, tape everything and put the book together. It was Smart Frog and Lazy Toad. That was the first book I ever wrote. <laughs> um, Fourth grade. You yes. know what? That's when, like, those, we, we're creative without judging ourselves. We just, I don't even know if we want to do it to have somebody else say it's good. We just do it because uh, it's something that we want to do. The, the next thing I wanted to ask you, fourth grade, you're already starting to write books as a fourth grader, what did you dream of becoming when you were a child? So when you were a child, Michelle, what did you say? When I grow up, this is what I want to be. I wanted to be a singer. <laughs> my best oh my, friend okay. and I actually had a little singing group, and we would write songs. I mean, like, I've been writing, you know, songs are just poetry put to music. So I would write. Songs for our group. Our group was called Strategy, <laughs> and I would Strategy. write songs for our group. And we, you know, we would try to sing. And we say we were going to be a singing group, a duo, duet, I guess, a, a duet, duo, duo. When we grew up. And did you did you pursue that at all, or did you just kind of I say, nah. have not really. I, I have a friend that is in the music industry. And hopefully this year we're going to, you know, put some things together. You know, he said I need some voice coaching. <laughs> but I, I, I still think I can sing a little bit. You know, I, I try to. There you go. I can't sing. <laughs> but um, you know, we'll, we'll see where the voice coaching takes me. Well, that you know what, and that you that the fact that you still going after your dream, I applaud you for that. And hopefully, you don't let outside influences stop you. Maybe you can do something like um, I can think of so many singers. They kind of got a folksy. I don't know what you want to. Uh, and then there's another uh, singer who came out years ago. She was very prominent, but it was the messaging in her music. Uh, I can't think of her name. She was in the '60s, really popular. It was the messaging in her music that people were really, really drawn to, and she did very, very well. How old were you? Started writing your first novel 
fourth grade, how were you when you knew for sure beyond any doubt that you wanted to be a writer? I was in my 40s and not so long ago. With my first book, I really was not writing a book. I had just written poems like over probably about a span of 12 years. Okay. And I had just written poems on like anything, paper bags, napkins, written some in my notebook and, you know, not expecting to turn those poems into a book. You know, I was just expressing myself. And then one of my friends who is also an author, she had already authored probably two or three books by that time. Mm-hmm. And she suggested that I, you know, turn my poems into a book. And that's kind of what happened. She edited the book for me and, you know, kind of gave me some tips and gave me information on printers and everything. And you know, that's how my first book became a book. I really was not writing a book. And then after that, you know, I intentionally set out to write books. So I guess it seemed like you kind of like, and so many of our guests on the show, they sort of stumbled into it. And it's kind of it's kind of funny. You said you wanted to be a singer first. I cannot tell you how many guests we've had on who are writers that that was not their initial intention. Uh, we've had a few that knew from you, very young ages they wanted to be a writer. But many of them stumbled into it. Some of them came as a dare, a friend dared them. You can't write in the finished notebook. And then they did it, and they, their career took off in, in, into uh, writing. So what, what if you had to say what single person or thing, uh, event, gave you your, inspired you to have a passion for books? Not everybody likes to read. Not everybody likes to read. How, who who has gave you birth that passion for books and writing in you? If you had to single out a person or an event, I I don't think I can really single out any person or event that really inspired me. I have always loved reading. Since, I mean, since childhood, I have always loved reading books. Um, I've always loved poetry. And, you know, when I was in school, I I loved English language arts. You know, that was one of my, um, you know, favorite subjects. And, you know, I've just always loved it. I've, I've always loved writing. Even when I was in college, I I loved my, my English classes. So I, I just really can't single out one particular person. I do have a friend that is, incarcerated he's been incarcerated i think 11 years now and when i well before i wrote my first book he kind of inspired some of the poems in the book and he would you know encourage me to write you know and continue to write like i would start writing and then i would slack off and you know when i would talk to him he would ask me like, you still writing you've been writing any more poems you've been writing any more books and, you know, he would just encourage me to keep going and, you know, to continue writing. But, and I just loved reading since I was a child. And I have, like, a, I have a lot of books. <laughs> and I still, you know, I, being an educator, I purchase books 
you know, since becoming an author, I've befriended a lot of other authors, so I try to support them. And, you know, I buy a lot of um, children's books because I'm, I'm actually going to write my first children's book after being an educator for over 23 years. I'm finally writing my first children's book as an adult. <laughs> so um, I support a lot of um, authors of children's books, especially authors who write books of color, you know, for, mm-hmm. for children of color. So, um, you know, to try to give our kids a positive image of themselves, you know, in books, a lot of times, you know, they don't get to see that on the book covers or on the in the pages of the book. How did you get the nickname Purple Poet? <laughs> I like that. How did you get that nickname? I gave myself that nickname. Purple <laughs> it has been my favorite color since high school. And, you know, I, I, I always read up on things and study things. And, you know, purple is the color of royalty. Purple is the color of love. If you've seen the movie The Color Purple, it, it the color purple stands for love and it's tea. And I feel that I am royalty. I, I'm a loving person. Um, that's just there you go. My nature is so very loving, very caring, giving, nurturing person, you know, sometimes to a fault. And you know, I've come to this place in my life that I am, you know, I'm a queen. I'm royalty. So I, I deemed myself the purple poet. You know, I, my love for poetry and my love for the color purple. Okay. I like that. We got to think well of ourselves. Absolutely. Enough people out here to think bad about us. Got to think well about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, when you sit down to write, Michelle, do you aim to educate inspire or motivate through your writings what, what what would you say is when you think about your reader as you're writing what do you you say predominantly you want to educate them about something like maybe domestic violence or do you want to inspire them like to go after their dreams and not give up or do you like want to motivate them to feel motivated that motivating energy to keep going what do you what is your aim as a as a poet as a writer I would say all three. Um, my goal is to educate, inspire, and motivate. Um, every book that I have written is written on my own personal experiences, real life, you know, so that somebody else can, you know, they can, you know, when they read my books or read my poetry, they know where I'm coming from. They can relate. You know, it's something that relates to them. They do these interviews. There, you know, a lot of women who inbox me and DM me, and you know, they say, you know, I could, I, you really inspired me that you were able to come out of the situation that you were in. That inspires me to, you know, to do the same. Or they have a loved one that's that's in a domestic violence situation, and you know, that inspires them to want to help them. You know, to try to get out of that. So I would just say, you know, it's a combination of all three. And I'm I'm writing a book, another book this year as well to um, help people who have gone through different situations in their lives. It may be domestic violence, loss of a loved one, divorce, or whatever, um, to be able to sit down and write their 
feelings, right? Their emotions and, and get these emotions out. Because a lot of times we just keep it, you know, bottled up inside mm. until the situation happens and then we explode. And usually that situation or the person has nothing to do with, you know, what initially started the hurt and pain in the first place. So writing is a good way of releasing those emotions and those feelings and getting all of that tox- toxicity out of your body. You know, oh, I'm so it... glad you shared that. Oh, Michelle, thank you. I'm so glad you shared that. What a blessing because I can tell you even just going through what I'm, and I've gone through the grieving process before. But I know when my mom passed when I was seven, I felt like family was like just go play and go on with your life. You have to go through it. It's not It's not pleasant. It is ugly. But you have to go through it because, like you said, if you, you can you can pay me now or you can pay me later. You can put it off and then it's going it, to, you're going to, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And that's where people, whether they've been abused or molested as a child, you can pay me now or pay me later. You can deal with it now or deal with it later, but you are going to deal with it. And I, I'm so grateful that you brought that up because I think a lot of times we think if I just stay real busy, if I just don't think mm-hmm. about it. No, mm-hmm. it's it happened. It's in your subconscious. Ain't enough busy in the world. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> you gotta deal with it. Yeah. So I'm, I really am grateful that you you have the courage to just take things on right smack dab in the face. But let's talk about your book, Poetry for Your Soul. What are some of the soul lessons? that you have learned that you share with readers in your poem, Soul Lessons? So, is it Soul, soul Sessions? I have a poem, Soul, um, soul Sessions, in the book. Um, that book, Portrait for Your Soul, I started writing these poems after my divorce and I kind of, I really, at the time, I wasn't really thinking of another book. But I was just, um, was like, after my divorce, like a freeing <laughs> came over me. Like I was free to finally be who I'm supposed to be. Like when I was married, like I had to put on this facade. I had to, you know, it was like I was acting. And, you know, I was trying to be the person he wanted me to be. And, you know, I had so much more inside of me that I really could not let out and, you know, release and just be who I wanted to be and be who I was and who I was becoming when I was married to him. So those, the poems for uh, Poetry for Yourself, they just started, like, pouring out after that. And, you know, I was just like, like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders and I was, happy, you know, I was finally out of misery because in my marriage I, I woke up like miserable every day and I loved this man. I had been in love with him since we were fourteen years old. Wow. And, you know, it was hard letting go because I I still loved him but I had to love myself more and just <laughs> get out of that marriage and get out of that situation because it's not good, you know, it's not healthy. Waking up every day, you know, miserable, and you know that it takes a toll on your body. Stress takes a toll on your body. 
So um, yeah, those poems just really came out of a, a, a place of being free, being happy, getting in touch and in tune with myself. I kind of um, over a period of time after my divorce, I, I kind of you know let go of religion and started studying spirituality and becoming more of a spiritual person than a religious person and just really getting in tune with myself and evolving and finding out who I was, who I wanted to be, and, you know, just being happy with me. Wow. You know, I have to ask you, Michelle, uh, when I got divorced, I was told it takes about, and I didn't go through domestic violence, but it was other problems, but I was told, give yourself, and I'm so glad I'm so glad I came across this. I think I read it. Give yourself a year to to get adjusted to it. It's it even if it's something you 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 know you should do. You're happy about it. It's still a change. Give yourself a minimum of a year to get through it. Because we like we we like to think we're gonna be over something in a couple of days, weeks, or months. Mm-hmm. No, give yourself a year to get through it. That really was very helpful for for me. Being in your relationship, you knew this. Man, since he was 14, that's a long time. How did you, how in the world, where did you get the strength to say, first, two questions. Number one, was there a period where you went back and forth, break up, make up, break up, make up, break up, make up? <laughs> and if so, how did you get the strength or the courage to know I'm leaving and I'm not going back this time? That was actually the story of our lives. We would get together, break up. From since our twenties, <laughs> we would get together, break up, get back together, break up, get back together, break up, and then the last time we got back together, we got married, and like I, I saw all of the red flags, but just blatantly mm. ignored them because I felt like not not that I could change him, not that I could change him but that his love for me would change him because ah. I knew he loved me, but he had like a drug addiction, alcoholism, and oh. I knew he loved those things too. You know, even if yeah. he tried not to, he, you know, he still went back to it. So he would like try different things, you know, AA, NA, um, he went to um, another drug addiction program. It's like he would try, but, you know, it just kept calling him. And it, it took a toll on our marriage and, like, caused division in my family, you know, with my kids and everything. And I just finally got to the point I just I could not take it anymore. I was tired of being sick and tired, waking up miserable, waking up every day, not knowing, mm-hmm. you know, what the day was going to bring, like having to walk on eggshells. Because it wasn't like so much physical abuse in this marriage because I've been married twice. But mm-hmm. it was like more emotional abuse. Like he was very insecure and like he would try to keep me on a short leash. I really didn't go anywhere or do anything, you know, unless I was with him. So, you know, it was like I was stuck in a prison. Yeah. So I I just finally got tired. You know, I guess that's 
probably the situation with all of us. Yeah. We're really not gonna do anything, you know, we're not gonna move or leave a relationship until we get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Because yeah. I, I tried like over the years on our first anniversary I filed for divorce. <laughs> our oh my, first oh my goodness. anniversary I filed for divorce and never followed through with it and I probably filed for divorce maybe like three more times after that. Until, you know, the last time and I was finally, okay, I'm just, I'm ready to be happy. I'm ready to move on with my life. And, you know, this is like keeping me stuck. Wow. You know, we had another lady on off the shelf and she was married to a pastor and she, he choked her in the unconscious. She said, and then I'll share this tip again. Mm -hmm. She said, don't ever tell an abuser that you're going to leave or report them Mm -hmm. because you don't ever want to do that. She said, just. Plan your escape. Be very committed to it. Keep it. Mm-hmm. Only tell one or no more than three people you really know you can trust, and and follow it through to the T. And that's how she got out. But she said she asked herself, she was in that marriage, I'm maybe ten years. Why am I putting up with these beatings? And when it got real, real bad, she go stay with her mother, and then she'd come back. And she, her mother's like, what are you? Why are you living like this? And one day she finally asked herself, why don't I think I deserve to be happy? Why don't I think I deserve to be loved? And that's when the light started to go on and she left for good. But everybody, like you said, is going to come to their own. But that back and forth, <laughs> I know I did it, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> He's just like, okay, that's it, I'm done. Who Who is talking about your poems? Who is Brother? And I love these titles you come up with. Who is Brother Abstract? What What is this man like, Brother Abstract? Um, Brother Abstract is this, uh, probably like different men that I have come in contact with, and you know I moved out of this space. I try, you know, I try not to use the N word anymore. You know we get mad at the brothers and, you know, we down them. Um, but I just, I'm I'm in love with black men. I, I love black men and, you know, I don't feel like it's racist, you know, to love my people, mm-hmm. to love who I am. So and right. I love the black man and I just feel like there are so many pieces to the black man and they don't get their due, they don't get their credit, you know, we down them and, you know, say they're deadbeat, you know, if they don't take care of their kids or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever we say. So, um, Brother Abstract is just this brother, this black man. He's strong. He's a king. He's a god. And, you know, he's just, he's enlightened. He's conscious. And, you know, he's just this beautiful black black man. Okay. Okay, you know that's, and I'm sure that that the the black men appreciate that positive poem about them. I'm gonna talk about one more poem in your book before we talk about the unrelationship book. But you wrote a poem titled "You Got My Soul." What does that mean, and what is that experience like? <sighs> that experience, <laughs> ooh, is um. It's kind of hard to explain if you have never 
experienced it. It's it's like being with somebody and and like you have these vibes between you, like just when you come in contact with one another, even if you're just talking on the phone, you have these vibes, these positive vibes between you, and you know, like your your soul is connected to that person. And ah, somebody okay. you you just met, you know, but it's like your your soul recognizes this person like you've been knowing them your whole life. Ah, okay. So that's kind of where you know you got my soul. When okay, this okay. Person captures your soul. Like a soulmate, what people call a soulmate. Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Now, in the unrelationship book, you were approached married and single life in this book. And at the start of the book, you say that you took a break from dating and just spent time with your family and your friends. That's not, I was told that's a good thing to do, but not everybody takes that approach. Some people go straight from the end of a relationship right into another relationship. But why did you decide to just take a break from dating altogether after you after your divorce? Um, again, because I was trying to find out who I was and what makes me happy, <laughs> aside from making my husband happy, making my kids happy, making my mother happy, what made me happy? Because <laughs> I spent so much of my life trying to please other people, and I wasn't necessarily pleased. I wasn't necessarily happy, you know, just, you know, trying to please people. So I just studied myself <laughs> and what made me tick, what made me happy, who, you know, who did I want to be, what did I want to be. And that's, you know, that's what I did. Like did some soul searching. Yeah, good for you. And I wonder why. Do you, in your work, do I don't know if you ever, as a writer, you hear from other readers and they thank you for what you share and their point that they've gone through a similar experience. But have you, through your writings, hearing from readers, the works the works you've done for the violence-free relationships, come to one to two or three, what makes women in particular? I, I don't. Maybe men do it, but I don't think they do based on what I've observed. If they do, they don't seem to do it as much. What makes women, why do we see it as our primary function to make other people happy and to support other people? And then we go to the back burner, and women have the highest incidence of mental health issues. It's, that's not a good payoff. It's <laughs> to keep putting yourself <laughs> on the back burner, and, mm-hmm. and your goal is to make sure everybody else is happy. Have you come to anything like where you're like, this is why we do this, and what can we do to stop doing that so much? I hear so many women say that. So many women say that. I think it's just the nurturing nature of women. Um, Most women, you know, are nurturers naturally. And I don't know, we feel this need to, to, nurture people, to help people, to give. And, you know, sometimes we give tirelessly. We give without getting anything back. Mm. Um, you know, we, we're helpers. We want to help people, especially, you know, women who are 
empaths and they, they feel for people, you know, when people are down or whatever, they on their emotions and they, they want to help them. They want to help them get out of whatever situation they're in. We're just, a lot of us are just nurturing by nature and is you know, it's just something that, that we do. But like I said, I had to, to... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, you said you I had, had to, to get tired of, you know, being sick and tired and start to think about myself because I was always, you know, trying to make everybody else happy and please everybody else. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily happy, you know, or pleased. And I, you know, would put myself on the back burner because I, you know, of course, I had to make sure my kids were taken care of. I, I had to make sure my husband was taken care of. You know, I wanted to do things that were pleasing in my mama's eyesight. And, you know, my daddy, my grandma. Oh, Lord. You know, I'm, so. <laughs> my God, jeez. Oh, Michelle, I think I, the burden that women carry to, oh, to, to, to you own your job and your family. I've heard so many women say it. I've heard women say the only time I get any peace is when I'm sitting on the toilet. I'm like, oh my goodness! I'm like, I gotta. I mean, I've heard so many women say, "Oh, if I visit somebody in a nursing home, that's the only time (laughs) I I can actually relax." I'm like, oh my god, that is like. uh, Any tips based on what you learned before we go off of this for our listeners? Any tips you can share with somebody who's struggling with that right now, and it's really heavy on them of how they can start to nurture and care for themselves more or make, tell other people, you take care of you a little bit more. I'm not, not putting all your pressures on me. Any any tips and advice you could share with a woman who's my motto, My motto for life right now <laughs> is know thyself, love thyself, heal thyself, because it's going to take you thinking more of yourself than you do other people thinking more about yourself than you think of celebrities. You know, you if you don't pour into yourself, you don't love yourself, if you don't take care of yourself, you have nothing to give to other people. You have nothing to give to your spouse or your kids or to give on your job if you're not taking care of you. So, I mean, that's, that's mm. my motto. Know thyself. Know yourself. Know what makes you happy. Know what makes you tick. Know what pushes your buttons. Know you. <laughs> And then love you. Love you first. You have to love you before you can love anybody else. You can't love in a relationship or, or love your kids or love anybody if you don't love yourself. You got to love yourself mm. first and then start taking the steps, you know, to heal yourself. You don't have to look to an outside entity. Everything you need is within you. The power yes. is within you. You you just have to dig deep and and pull it out. You know, sometimes you know we just push all of that stuff down, and you know we we you know packed it in. But it is within you to heal yourself. But it's gonna start with you first knowing yourself and what what makes you you, and loving you regardless of whatever that is that makes you you. Yes, and then a, a couple other tips for for our listeners: journaling, writing down your dreams. A lot of dreams are just mm-hmm. you know things that come up from the day, but you can tell when a dream is giving you an important message. 
uh, paying attention to those important dreams, journaling. And then even if you have to um, type it out, if something bothers you or upsets you through the day, to write it out or type it out just so you can express it. Some people drawing with you as poetry, singing, but not to bottle it up or say, oh, I'm wrong for being upset that so-and-so made me wait Mm -hmm. 15 minutes for them. No, you're not wrong. So express Mm -hmm. that some kind of way. Even if you don't tell the person, express it. If they keep doing it, I would definitely say to them, you know, we all busy. My time is as valuable as yours, so mm-hmm. let me know what time works for you. <laughs> I'm not waiting 15 minutes on you anymore. And and just to respect yourself, and, and, and those are some beginnings. As a parent, start letting your kids do more. Why should you clean the whole house by yourself? Everybody living mm-hmm. in the house, dirtying that house up. <laughs> so you do this, yep. you do that, you do this, and this is what I'll do. Those are just some tips because women – I'm telling you, have more psychological issues than men, and there's a reason for that. And I think we do just take on way, way too much. Are there signs when you talk mm-hmm. about your the relationships? Knowing somebody from 14 years <laughs> old is like you think you know this person inside and out. Are there signs, Michelle, that we're in the right relationship? Because all relationships take work. Our relationship with ourselves mm-hmm. takes work. Are there signs that we're in the right relationship and signs that we're in the wrong relationship? There are. And like I said, I saw the red flags, but I ignored them. (laughs) And as I wrote in my book, the Unrelationship book, I said that we are selfish people, and we are. We're selfish. We only think about ourselves. We want what we want, and we Mm -hmm. want it when we want it. And then... Sometimes, you know, we get what we said we wanted, and then it, you know, turns out Ooh, that it blows wasn't up, actually blows up what we it. bargained for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you get in it, and then you find out, oh, okay, this is not what I what I bargained for. <laughs> and, <laughs> but because you were selfish and you, you wanted that self-gratification right then, you ended yeah. up, you know, you, you got what you got. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, and that comes from being selfish and, you know, just wanting things. And sometimes, you know, those things are not good for us. (laughs) And so, you know, we get into these situations that are not healthy for us. We don't, I'm a firm believer. I don't know what's best for me. As much as I like to think I do, I don't. I don't. That's why I have to say, Lord, order my steps. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, and but but the sign there about signs when something's right, I think you would feel peace. You shouldn't come home and feel afraid. You should not feel afraid to go home. Mm-hmm. If you're in a relationship where you're scared to go home, I think that's a not the relationship you should be in. Because if mm-hmm. you're afraid, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna get hit. I don't know if this person gonna be happy. I don't know how they're gonna be. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. then you're trying to change yourself to try to keep them in that yep. happy place, and you don't know. If you, yep. That's a definite sign you're in a wrong relationship. And then a, a financial abuse, they keep the the way they manage the money, you feel like a beaver that you'll never work enough <laughs> to pay pay the bills off that they keep mm-hmm. making. So that's a, those are things when uh, it's just too much pressure to person, their, their decisions are causing you to feel way too burdened 
the decisions that they're making. I didn't know if you had any others uh, based on your experience that you wanted to share. Then also wanted to touch real quickly on how we delude ourselves when something bad is happening that it's not really that bad. <laughs> I just, you know, we just sometimes blow things out of proportion, and you know I've been dealing with that lately. Not myself, <laughs> but somebody that I've been dealing with is like any little thing just gets blown out of just gets blown out of proportion. I. I left something in the house and it it becomes, you know, like a, a situation and I'll, you know, I'll really do just go back and get it. You know, it's right. not, you know, not that big of a deal, <laughs> but, you know, some people like to make a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if it's because you grow up, if you grow up around a lot of drama, that you it makes you feel like uh, you're at home. I think it you're, must you're be because if there's, if there's a lot of drama, like very you grew dramatic. Up around yeah. It. Yes, you grew like up a lot everything around, around a lot of drama. Is so. drama. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm now at this point in my life, I'm you know this cool, laid back person. I am a friend of peace. I love peace. I don't like drama. I don't like arguing, fussing, cursing. I I just. I just tune out when you start doing all of that, you know, that pushes me away because I'm not a part of that. That's not a part of me. I just, I really don't want to be involved in that. I don't want to be around. It's like negative, you know, so I'm trying, you know, I try to stay positive <laughs> because I want to be positive with other people in negativity and then still be positive. So, you know, I just try to stay away from drama Drama right. It sounds like you're evolving, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. It, you, you you can look back at yourself and say, you know what? I can't believe I used to put up with that, or I used to. I was in that situation. I can't believe I stayed in that as long as I did. And now the you that you are now, you're like, I wouldn't put up with that for five minutes, <laughs> let alone five years. You know, so you can see yourself evolving. Can you give us? Michelle, a brief overview of Tales from My Life, Not the Crypt. What are some of the topics that you take on in the poems in the book? Oh, Tales from My Life, Not the Crypt was my very first book, and it is a book about my life, but everything is in poetry form. And when I was writing those poems, it was, you know, something that I was going through at that time, and everything in the book is not negative. Everything in the book is not bad, but it's all a part of my life. Um, I talk about being a young mother. I talk about um, my twin boys. They they were the babies. I had girls first, and then I had boys. And you know, we were, we called them the babies for years. They're eighteen now. Um, I talk about my mom, my grandmother. I talk about um, their poems about both of my husbands <laughs> in that book. Um, I talk about abuse, the the physical abuse that I endured in my first marriage. I talk about the emotional abuse I endured in my second marriage. And I also talk about, um, you know, God and, and 
religion, and I talk about, you know, I, the chapters are broken down into the men in my life, the women in my life, the children in my life, and then simply my life. And it's just talking okay. about, you know, my life, things that I've gone through or experienced in my life. Okay, okay. I want to talk about how divorce became my deliverance. How did you, now that's a that's a compilation of a lot of different authors contributing to the book. Is that correct? Yes. How did the, you become um, a part of it? Was that was that your brainchild? That you is something that you you came up with, or did somebody reach out to you and say, "Hey, Michelle, I'm working on this book. Would you contribute uh, some writings to it?" Well, another author that I was following on Instagram, Alana Washington, she has her own publishing company, um, and she had posted on Instagram that she was writing this anthology on divorce and she was looking for some authors to contribute to the book. And I responded to her post and, you know, things just kind of went from there. I um, with eight other ladies and we each have a chapter and in our chapter, we, you know, we tell our story of our marriage and how ultimately our divorces became our deliverance from certain things in our marriages. So that's kind of how that took place. Okay. And uh, so you you just talk about your your re, your relationships and what you went through. I wanted to ask you, do you think that it's important before we get married? It, 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 this one thing you said that when you were married, you were like felt like you were acting. And there are times like what I'm going through in my life right now, when I go to work, I don't like other people. I don't want to burden other people with what I'm going through. So, and I've heard other people going through it. Like, you feel like you're wearing a mask. This is the way I'm going to mm-hmm. be. I don't want to upset you. I don't want to bother you. At work, you can't mm-hmm. break down at work, so you just act like maybe the event didn't happen. So it puts on this, uh, it can create an image or an ideal, whether it's marriage, you're going through something difficult, that it's not that hard or it's not that bad or that having kids will make your life just heavenly and fantastic. Getting married will make your life just feel like you're living in in heaven on earth. And so we hide the the challenging parts and the the parts that are really difficult so people don't get the real picture. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're thinking, oh, I want to I wanna get married because <laughs> you just show you're wearing a mask. You just show the good parts mm-hmm. of it. And and so they, mm-hmm. whatever it is, people are like, oh, I want to do that because you only show the good parts. You never show the, the challenging parts of it. That said, if you go through, like, counseling, like with a good marriage counselor, a good marriage counselor start to ask you questions that you might not think about, like, do you want to have kids? And one of you finds out, yeah, I do, and one finds out, no, I don't. Okay, you got a problem. Do you do you want to live in the country or in the city? Oh, I want to live in the city. I want to live in the country. Mm-hmm. Problem number two. So during marriage counseling, they ask you questions that a lot of couples don't even think about before they get married. They don't even cross their minds. Based on your experience and the other writings in the book, How Divorce Became My Deliverance, do you think that it's important that before people get married, they go through they go through counseling. Don't even think about doing it before you uh, go through some really thorough marital counseling. Um, 
I think you should, but I think it should be with somebody that neither one of you knows. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, my first marriage, we only we had one counseling session, and that was with our pastor at the time. Okay, because we had both grown up in church. Um, that's how we knew each other, and mm-hmm. we, we had one counseling session with our pastor. And like later on, after you know he had married us and the abuse started, I started hearing mm. people saying that he really didn't want to marry us, but he did. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so I, you know, and I, I, someone who knows neither one of you who can, you know, ask you these questions, and they, you know, not already have an image of you. In mind, yeah, you know they don't know you. Yeah. They don't know anything about you. They're asking you these questions for you to get to know each other, to find out what you need to know about one another. So I, I think it should be somebody you know who who you don't even know, and and they you know don't already have this preconceived image of either one of you. I agree, and then also at a minimum, some 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 pastors. Or ministers, they're like you got to do a minimum of either six weeks, six sessions, or some say three months. And they're like, I'm not even going to marry you if you don't go through that because you're going to. I'm going to put things in front of you that you may never, ever have considered. How you going to handle a really, a real hard disagreement? How are you? What are you going to do if this happens or that happens? What are you going to do if his mother says she wants him to do this and you want the opposite? Those are things you got to start thinking about. And um, it might make some people say, you know what, I ain't ready to get married. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't know why we we wear a mask. We wear a mask and we make everything look so ideal. And everybody thinks, oh, it, it it must be great. It must be wonderful. Then you get in it, and you're like, "Oh my God!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I want to ask you next, as we come down to the last six minutes of the show, and I, I, I so have enjoyed your interview, Michelle. And I hope people, but before I before I go into these last few questions, I know you also do work for violence-free relationships. Can you share uh, before we move on? Any tips, any resources, uh, services that you might offer that you're aware of that men and women can take advantage of who find themselves in a violent relationship? Um, there are there's a domestic abuse hotline that people can call. You know, they feel like you know they just can't get out on their own, or you know, if you have someone close to you that you trust that you can confide in, you know, at least speak to that person, talk to somebody. But the main thing is you have to love you. You have to love yourself enough to get out of that situation. You have to love yourself Mm. more than you love this person. (laughs) You have to love yourself, you know, more than you love the situation or or whatever. You, You have to love you. Number one, you have to put you first. So, and that's that's what I would say. <laughs> Love yourself, and then if there's somebody you can confide in, somebody that you trust, you know, go to that person 
and and confide in them. You know, at least somebody knows, and maybe they can they can help you. You know, or you know, give you resources on what you can do. You know, to get out of that situation. If you don't want to talk to some, you know, if you don't know, calling the domestic violence hotline, then confide in someone that you know and trust. And then, and I appreciate. Thank you, Michelle. You sharing that. Another thing, if you if you feel like you're ready, but there's some part of you that just some part of you isn't ready to let go. I also recommend counseling because a counselor who can access your subconscious can maybe find out very quickly what it is that's keeping you hanging on and help you <laughs> on your own on your own decide. I'm I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm leaving this. I'm getting out of this abuse, and I'm going. I deserve love, and I'm going to leave it. Because sometimes we need help to cut that cord. Mm-hmm. We, we might not be able to cut it yourself. So counseling, the domestic violence hotline, and then also always practicing self-love. So you know, I mm-hmm. don't deserve to be treated like this, and you you can leave. You can leave. Can you let us know? How we can get copies of your books, and are they in print and ebook format? And where can listeners get copies of your books, Michelle? All of my books are in print and ebook. You can um, order the printed copies from my website. Like I said, if you Google C. Michelle Atkins or Google the Purple Poet, my website will come up. But my website is atkinsm45.wix.com forward slash c-michelle-atkins. You can also order my books on Amazon, the hard copy as well as the ebook, And I think um, Poetry for Your Soul and the Unrelationship book are both on barnesandnoble.com as well. Okay. Do you do any spoken word? Do you ever do live performances, any spoken word, poetry? I have not, but that is something that I'm planning on getting into more this year. Um, There's an event coming up next month, but I I don't want to say the date because I I might be wrong. Okay. What's the name of the event um, so people can look out for it? Are you going to be at it? uh, It's erotic. Poetry. Okay. Is, um, I can't. I can't remember the venue. I have okay. a flyer in my phone, but I, I can't. I can't think of the venue right now. Is it in Atlanta or is it in like Marietta yes. or Alpharetta? It's in Atlanta. It, well, it's, okay. it's at the Calabar in okay. Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain on Reed and Road. That's Stone Mountain, the Calabar. You said Excalibur. The Calab- Calabar. Grill. Mm-hmm. Calabar Grill, Stone Mountain, you Calabar. Guys. And Michelle, mm-hmm. Calabar, you can see, Calabar, you can see <laughs> Michelle live and in person, and that's in Stone Mountain. And check out her website. You can look up the Purple Poet and check out her website, and, and so you can go out to the event and hear and meet her live and in person. Uh, so we want to really thank you. Michelle, for being here with us. And you said you're on Twitter. I always like to let people know you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook. And where else can people find you on social media? Ooh, Twitter, Facebook, 
Instagram, YouTube. I have a YouTube channel uh, where I have some videos okay. where I'm doing some of my poetry and then just some um, – I have a, a Facebook group called Black Poetry and Soul Consciousness, and I do um, Facebook and Instagram lives every Sunday at 1230. So I have some of those videos on my YouTube channel as well. So okay. I'm, I'm doing some of my Michelle, poetry. And, and... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good for you, the Purple Poet. This is a woman who is in evolution. Awesome for you, and I'm glad that we got to connect and our listeners here at Off the Shelf got to meet you. Again, you can look her up, the Purple Poet. See Michelle Atkins, and she is the author of How Divorce Became Out of She's a contributor to the book How Divorce Became Out of Deliverance, and other books that Michelle has authored include Poetry for Your Soul, Tales from My Life, Not the Crypt, and the Unrelationship Book, and she is an advocate for violence-free relationships, and I applaud, applaud that. Thank you again, Michelle, for being here with us, and we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to Off the Shelf Radio, and we always encourage you to set some, just put a note, a reminder on your calendar that you're going to tune in to Off the Shelf Radio every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time. I mean, we have over 13 years, the, the New York Times best-selling authors. We've had authors who've been on CNN and TV One, and really have done incredible things. So we encourage you to, li- to just just set a, t- a note every Saturday morning, at 11 a.m. You're gonna tune in to Off the Shelf Radio. We want to thank C. Michelle. Please go out and support her, her writings, and her books. And remember, you are awesome. You are incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Michelle, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Okay. Goodbye.